Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friend, welcome to this week's Upfront Moment. This week I am joined by Janelle Aldred. Janelle is a freelance newsreader and creative communication consultant. After honing her craft as a journalist at some of the UK's largest broadcasting organisations, including BBC, ITV, ITN and Five News, Janelle established her own consultancy, specialising in developing transformative communication strategies around complex conversations and issues. She's a passionate advocate for diversity and inclusion, publishing her first book last autumn, Communication for Change, Creating Justice in a World of Bias, which I have in front of me on my desk and it is fantastic. I truly mean it when I say this conversation was one of my favourite upfront moments. We talked about confident communication, we talked about the superpower of curiosity and asking questions, we talked about stereotypes, we talked about tall poppy syndrome and a lot about reflection and dialogue and nuance and complexity and I learned a lot and it was brilliant so I hope you enjoy this conversation with Janelle. Let's go. Good morning, Janelle. Welcome to Upfront Moment. It's so nice to see you. How are you today? I'm really well. Good morning, Lauren, and good mo- well, greetings to everyone. It's really, really, really good to be here. As you know, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. Yeah, likewise. And we're here to talk about all things communication because that is what you live and breathe. So I would love for you to tell us who you are, about the work you do. And I guess like what why is communication the thing for you? Why is, you know, effective communication the thing that you think is an ingredient that's going to get us to a better world? Oh, that, do you know what? I've never had that question before and I like it. Do you know what? I think communication is just something, I think everyone's born with a gift. Everyone's born with something special. I think the thing that sometimes we lose our way around is we like public facing gifts often sometimes more than the ones mm. that might be a bit more behind the scenes. But I think everyone is gifted something. And I think communication was just something that I was gifted because it's something that has always been a part of me family friends talk about when I was young like really young like just I was an early talker for a start so I've had a head start in the chatting department (laughs) still still continue to run along but I would always ask questions really like but why wanting to understand like wanting someone to tell me why can't I do this it wasn't just like a tantrum why this was like really like the bane of my parents life like I would not just take a you couldn't bat me away with just like some silly answer And so in that sense, I guess I was always very curious. And I think people who are into communication are often quite curious. The reason why I think communication is the key to maybe get us to a better place is because if you are not curious about why someone thinks what they think, even if you don't agree with it, you will never come to a place of understanding with them because it will be more of a, I don't agree with that. That's that. You're wrong. I'm right. And there's no kind of trying to conversate to move someone along because you'll never move someone along that you have just already shut down. 
So I think that's why communication is um, something that moves on to a better place. And how I think I've uh, come to this is through my whole career. So as a journalist, did a lot of presenting, a lot of news reading, did a bit of weather along the way. My MA is in broadcast journalism. Grew up in a house where my dad was a preacher, minister. So again, a communicator, an understander of people when done well. Um, an understander of people. My mom's a counsellor and psychotherapist. Again, that's mm-hmm. about communicating and understanding through communication what someone is feeling what they're going through and you know if you've ever been to counseling or psychotherapy especially when it's person-centered there's a lot of that person drawing out of you almost of you saying out loud and kind of talking yourself into okay actually yeah this is how I feel and putting a voice sometimes to certain issues that hadn't had one and that communication out loud can sometimes even illuminate to you yourself things that you didn't know were there by someone asking you certain questions. And so I think when I look around in this world and see, I guess I've always seen communication being that key that unlocks things in you and in others when it's done well. And I think maybe not many of us are always exposed to that kind of communication that would give you that thinking about the way things could be. And then confidence is a big part of communication. And that's something that we've you know, talked a lot about is kind of where our worlds overlap. And I would love to hear from you, like what what impacts do you think confidence or a lack of confidence can have on people communicating effectively? I think when you don't have confidence, and I think confidence is one of those things, it's like a muscle, you like you have to exercise it. People say, oh, how do you like be so direct or ask that direct question? We well, have to do it the first time, sometimes get it a little bit wrong and kind of try a different way or try a different tack. So I think confidence is a muscle and you can be more and less confident in communicating certain things. So I think that's the first thing. Some people are very good communicating their boundaries, maybe, but not very good communicating their feelings, which would give that conversation a different spin. So what happens, I think, when people are not confident is people tend to go one of two ways. They either don't say what they mean, which leads to uh, a lack of authentic connections, a lack of genuine conversation, because you'll say, well, what did you think about that? And they will not feel confident enough to say, I didn't like that or not feel confident to say, could we do this instead? So they'll be like, it's fine. And it's not fine. And what is building up in that person is a big, massive store of like resentment. And then because human beings are leaky, that's what then comes through in the communication, whether that's they don't speak to you or the way they speak to you or the way they begin to approach you. So there's that side of of lack of confidence that leads people to bottle up, not say what they mean, feel resentful. And often you see relationships, many relationships Mm -hmm. erode because of that lack of confidence to say. And that lack of confidence comes from many things. People being scared someone will leave, scared of the reaction that someone might have to what they've just said. So there's lots of things, I think, that lead to that kind of lack of confidence or things behind that. Then the other way is the kind of show of strength, as I would call it. So sometimes because people don't feel confident, they try and do a show of strength. So they go in like hard. They go in like all guns blazing, all guns blazing. And often in an uncontrollable way that actually leaves them kind of not able to actually even listen to what the other person is saying as a reaction. Well, you said this and you did this and you're like this. And and they're often completely closed to even the other person responding because they're so worried that they won't get across what they want to say they kind of come out like an army tank, just like bulldozing everything out the way. I think 
when you and also sometimes afraid of the answers back as well because the lack mm. of confidence is actually scared of the response and I get like that sometimes sometimes I get scared of the response even though I'm good at voicing mm-hmm. because you're like oh no did I go too far because we've all got a little bit of people please all right so to me those are the two kind of extreme things that happen when people don't have confidence in either what they're saying they're right to say it saying it the right or wrong way but I think you tend to find those extremities come into the room when confidence is not in there with the person. And you talk a lot about our biases and our blind spots as human beings and the role that that plays in these scenarios where you show up, you know, hell for leather, as they'd say in Glasgow, or you show up, you know, very weak or you don't show up at all because you're so scared of the conversation so how, what's your take on how we can understand and navigate what those biases and blind spots are for each of us so that we can better be better equipped to have those conversations? I think the number one thing I always think about are the narratives that immediately present themselves to you. Mm-hmm. So you'll say in a scenario with someone and you think, I don't like that person. There's nothing, they haven't done anything yet. You just get a vibe. And you know what? That is like a very natural human kind mm-hmm. of thing, actually. But you have to go a step back and investigate what is making you feel that. Sometimes it's this person reminds you of a boss that you used to have that you couldn't stand. Mm-hmm. They might remind you of someone in your family that you have a difficult relationship. They might remind you of any number of things and I think we're always thinking about the big things but sometimes it's the small things I remember having a conversation with someone and I was saying about something I was doing that I was really proud of and they just rolled their eyes with the person they were with and I remember feeling that oh okay so uh what I'm sharing is making a negative reaction that person and so although you don't know it we're all processing all of these Mm -hmm. things all the time so sometimes when you're in these moments where you have an immediate reaction to someone Sometimes there's like a little scenario that's going on in your mind and you just get that feeling or, you know, it's it's a variety of different things that are often going on. So I think it's important to try to pay attention to those things that are often making you feel that way about people, because if you look, there'll be a pattern. Mm-hmm. I know there's a pattern of a certain kind of, just to be frank, like white woman that reminds me of mm-hmm. an awful boss that I had. And when I feel that feeling of that kind of personality I find myself immediately in a very negative space Mm -hmm. because I feel like my whole body gets into like a fight or flight scenario where it doesn't want to be back in that particular scenario defend yourself shore up batten down the hatches which is unfair to the person who is in front of me because they Mm -hmm. might be nothing like that person but I'm decoding and, you know, we stereotype to make the world safe for us. And this is part of stereotyping. And I think we often think about stereotyping in that big way rather than sometimes a little micro ways that we do it in terms mm. of things like, oh, she wears red lipstick. My mum my used to wear red lipstick and she was always like putting me down. And so mm. I think when we think about our biases and our blind spots, we have to just kind of see where these scenarios seem to often be presenting ourselves and the things that we're saying about people. Oh, you know, men are like, uh, you know, people are like, because in there is a bias. Now, it might not be that that is not true for you. However, this might not be helpful. 
for you mm-hmm. in the many multiple scenarios of your life that you're going to go through. And so I just always think it's important to interrogate, why am I thinking like this? Why do I have this kind of thing around this kind of scenario or this kind of person? What are the reoccurring themes and where might this be coming from in my own life? How can I look back into my own life, my upbringing, all those other things and see where these patterns are coming from so that you can address them? I'm not anti-unconscious bias. It's a useful tool for highlighting certain things. But after a while, we have to say, okay, well, let's bring this bias to our consciousness so it can be dealt with and not just leave it as some unconscious thing that we can't cope with. So that's kind of how I think about dealing with those things. So a lot of it is about noticing and reflecting and kind of pausing to observe with curiosity. You know, where are these thoughts coming from? Why does this feeling feel so strong? You know, and I I think across the board, taking time to take a step back and reflect before responding and reacting is always a good idea. There's never a scenario where that's (laughs) not going to serve you well. But of course, as you say, when you are are scared or you're frightened or your body is full of adrenaline, that can be really difficult. And I think that's, you know, I always try and practice it. I think the more you can practice it when you're in a good place and a safe place and your nervous system is calm, then the easier it can be to notice, okay, now I need to do this now when you're not feeling calm. Yeah, and it's like emails. If anyone ever sends you a difficult email and you are tempted to reply straight back, do not. Sometimes what I do is I'll write the email exactly like how I'm thinking. I'll write it and I will not send it. And when I go back and read it a few hours later, I think, wow, this needs an edit. Because actually when you go back and you just sit with yourself for a little bit, it's not just even about that other person. It's like, how do you want to represent yourself? There's all of those things in the mix. And sometimes what happens when we do that is we make it all about the other person. And sometimes I like to try and think, well, how do I want to show up in this world, actually? Because now this is making me react in a way that I don't want to be. Or it's making me feel like something I don't want to be. But actually, how do I go back into the space of this is how Janelle on a great day is going to respond because this is how I want to be out there in the world. This is how I want to be and also be perceived. So sometimes, you know, it's it's just worth. And in a conversation, it's really tricky. But sometimes I've said to people, I really can't have this conversation right now. I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. Now, people sometimes don't even respect that. And I've been in a scenario where someone has gone on regardless, you know, and insisted on on having these conversations or leaving you that voice note, et cetera. You're not in control of any of those things because we're just about in control of ourselves. So we're definitely not in control of others. And so I think in that sense, it is always about you can't control what you can't control, but just try and control yourself so that when all is said and done, you feel good. About how you behaved, yeah. You reacted. Yeah. And so for people who want to show up in conversations, and, you know, communication's so broad, right? We could be talking about a difficult conversation with a partner. We could be talking about a team meeting, a job interview, everything in between. But what are your tips and your advice for people who want to find the confidence to have hard conversations, especially with people that they disagree with 
So there's a book I always recommend. I think everyone should read it. Ruaz, The Four Agreements. It's a book that I think is is brilliant. It's a short book based on like ancient wisdom. And, and I can't remember every single thing. One is always keep your word. Always do your best. Don't take things personally. And I can't remember the fourth one. But I think one of the things we have to realise in a lot of tough scenarios is it is not personal. Even sometimes when it feels very personal, they could be talking about you as a person and it still might not be personal. Because as I said earlier on, when we are, when we're in those difficult scenarios, we're linking this person back to another scenario that we've been through, another person that we know. And often that's what other people are doing to you. So in a sense, they are projecting a lot onto you. I was talking to someone about grief and and playing golf and how actually in playing golf, I've realized I let a lot of my emotions out that actually I wouldn't always want to let out. I wouldn't want to communicate. I sometimes get so angry on the golf course. I can't, I can't believe I'm so angry. Like smashing clubs. (laughs) It comes a bit too much. So I would never do that. That's the only thing stopping me. I don't want to pay to replace them. But I, I recognize, gosh, this, this anger cannot be about the golf. It is not about the golf. This is a safe space for me to let this out. To be angry. Pressure valve, go. And I think it's about recognising in these tough conversations, sometimes this is not the space to let your pressure valve go. This is not the moment to unleash all the anger you feel about a thing onto the person in front of you, whether or not you feel that is deserved. Because I often think you know in not taking things personally and me trying to not be personal with people now controversial this is I know people find this controversial sometimes when I decide to not be in a relationship with someone I decide not to have a conversation with them now some people might call this ghosting some people would definitely call it ghosting and the reason why I have come to that decision is because I know how powerful words are And I think if we thought about how powerful words are, we wouldn't say a lot of the things that we say, actually. My opinion of someone, depending through my life, my lens, is not always their problem. And sometimes when we end relationships, and that can be any kind of relationship, work, whatever, we literally do the whole mic drop situation. We let them know. And some of that is just pure opinion. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is... There's my side, there's your side, and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Because there's so much and complexity that goes on that you can't even know. Okay, so I was a bit late this morning, and I try not to be late like for this recording. Now, there's two ways that can happen when we come on the call. Mm-hmm. You can either be like, hmm, well, she's late. And, you know, you might not say, hmm, she's late, but you might let me know, because I secretly fume sometimes because I hate lateness. <laughs> But then when I get on the call and I say to you, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not sleeping well at the moment, da 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 Now, perhaps there's a scenario where because of the way the conversation goes, you don't get that context. So you don't understand that, yes, I have let you down. And so the, the net impact is, yes, I was, you know, three minutes or four minutes late. However, there's a whole thing going on behind me that is like not even necessarily particularly in my control that's causing a chain reaction of events And I've made that deduction. Do I send an email and waste a couple more minutes to tell you that I'm a couple of minutes late? Or do I just be a couple of minutes late, get ready and be on the call? And I think sometimes what we forget in conversations, even with people we horrendously disagree with, and this is very challenging, and there are levels to disagreement too, and levels to relationships. 
you could have put your opinion of this whole moment on me without knowing any of that backstory. Mm. And actually that moment causes more harm to what's about to happen next than just kind of silently fuming, but listening. Hi, and waiting to see if the person brings it up. Really sorry, I was late. This is what's going on. And so obviously this is like a massive thing and there's like so many caveats, different things. And so when I say sometimes I don't go to people and say, well, I think that you're not the kind of person I'd like to be friends with because you do X, Y, Z. There has to be certain levels to that relationship before I would ever have that conversation with someone. If it's just like a friend that we're kind of friends or we're not close friends and actually I'm not going to put my opinion of them on them. Now, to someone else, that might be actually quite frustrating because Janelle doesn't really speak to me anymore. But sometimes I weigh up the, the harm of saying to someone, I think you're too much. Because I know how when someone said to me, your confidence is intimidating how those words kind of knocked around and reverbed around in my head for years and left me kind of always in a space of like to someone rolling their eyes at me. And so I think sometimes we should be comfortable that a conversation wasn't had. Someone has let you go. And you also just let that person go in peace by the fact that they obviously don't want to communicate with you. Like you, you let that go in peace of, okay, there was something there that wasn't quite right. I don't know. I don't feel like I did anything wrong. Maybe I did. Would be nice to know. But actually, really consider how words do live on in people's minds, hearts, spirits, emotions, Mm. future actions. And so I have come to that conclusion for myself that putting that on someone is not always the best thing to do. And I will take the heat as a person who doesn't always say, well, it was X, Y, Z, because someone once pushed me to tell them why. And when Mm -hmm. I told them why, they got very upset. And then it was the inevitable, well, and I said, honestly, I would not have had this conversation with you had you not pushed me. Oh, well, it just, you just seem so cold, like you don't care. And where, where can that conversation go from there? Because not that I don't care, but it's just that I I didn't want to go here. You've pushed me to go here. And now I've gone here. I'm almost backed into a corner of I have to be sorry for not wanting somebody in my life. And when we push for conversations and when we push for apologies that are either not heartfelt, not there Mm -hmm. at all, you just have to be wary of the harm you could be inflicting to yourself in that moment of someone not caring and not giving you the answer that you want and as I said to that person you know obviously or when it's pushing for an apology when there's nothing to apologize for apologize for and then you know and I have lots of thoughts on on society because I think we push for a lot of apologies in general Mm -hmm. that people you know you have to say sorry and then they don't say sorry the way we like so then we say well you're not really sorry no they were never sorry um but you made them say it because you thought that would make you feel better I think sometimes we have to think do I want people in my life who want to be there and would my time be better spent on cultivating those relationships rather than pushing people who do not want to be there to tell me why for me I I find it when guys ghost you and dating and Ron said to my friend, oh, my friend keeps getting ghosted and she doesn't doesn't know why. And that can be frustrating. But I said, I tell you, if they told her, it would be probably far more hurtful. You're a bit too fat. You're a bit too thin. I'm looking for someone who's more nurturing. I'm looking for someone who's a bit more successful. These are the reasons. These are the real reasons. 
And we want people to be something they're not and say something nice, like it's not you, it's me, so we can feel better. But what if that doesn't come? What if what comes back is the truth? What if that's an insecurity that you hold and then it then comes along to kind of confirm it? bolster yourself and it's not about a false sense of ego because we most people are aware of some of their the way they are but bolster yourself with people who are going to help you to be the best version of yourself and not to live in a place of insecurity so I think when it comes to tough conversations around a lot of things sometimes one does this conversation need to be had and two if you decide you're going to have it you have to listen And listening means you might hear things that are deeply uncomfortable to you or things that you don't want to hear. And you also have to consider that. If you've considered these things and you feel like this is still a conversation worth having, it is about how best you want to have it represent yourself with self-awareness and understanding that this other person could say anything. And that's not a reason to shy away from it in a sense, for some conversations, because at some levels of relationship or societal conversations, as tough as that space is, they have to be had. Because there are some relationships where the conversation has to be had. If you no longer want to be friends, it has to be had because the level of that relationship is important and deep and you have to say what needs to be said. Same with social justice and change. Sometimes it is going to be an awful conversation. Steal yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and go in because it, you know this needs to be said or it needs to be dealt with and so I think maybe what we need to get to do is like triaging these situations like you would a health emergency and oh. triaging what needs to happen here what state of mind would be best for me to be in and if I can't be in that state of mind when this conversation happens if I'm not in the ideal scenario how do I begin to think about how I will respond in these moments so that they don't become a huge you know mountain but it's tough and difficult it's not Mm. easy but necessary and I know you talk about invisible contracts tell us what is an invisible contract and how do they play into what you've just talked about so I think invisible contracts to me are a lot around power dynamics that's Mm -hmm. what a lot of invisible contracts are around so some people will say you know that some people if they help you they will need compensation let's say for helping gratitude a favor something and so you know when you ask a certain person for something because you might need it so you have to ask them you kind of know that what you are entering into is a dynamic where this will be will have to be repaid at some point because no good deed goes unpunished so I think invisible contracts are things we kind of silently enter into okay for instance when someone is not confident doesn't say what they really need you're kind of entering into like an invisible contract that you are the person this relationship is going to roll over Mm. you are the person in this relationship that is that is going to put up and shut up and the other person sometimes will know that you're not being honest so you're not saying what you really think but they'll let you do that because equally it works for them so sometimes Mm. when you say to someone how are you and they say fine, you know they're not fine, but you also don't have the time to get into it or the will. So you let them say fine and you both move on. You know that person's not okay. But in that moment, it's expedient for you. I think we're entering into these kind of things all the time with each other. And sometimes the invisible contract is an open, honest, you know, the mm-hmm. ability to give fair feedback and challenge each other and all of those things. Communication for me is not about what's always been said. 
because in terms of communication, verbal communication is like the smallest amount of how we communicate. Most of it is nonverbal. So most of it is our tone and also our physical, our, our communication, our facial expressions, the way that we're moving our body. And so I think with communication, it's never what people are saying. It's all the other things that are being unsaid around the communication that lets us know what's really going on. Oh, see, so you've cut your hair. We know what you mean. You think it's awful. <laughs> it's but you're you're saying it in a nice enough voice that you you could have culpable deniability that you were giving a diss and not compliment. When I'm talking about the invisible things that are happening, it's those things versus oh my gosh, your new haircut really suits you. Yeah. And how do we become more aware of those invisible contracts, do you think? Is it about the reflection and the noticing that we talked about before? I think because we feel it. You know when someone is saying something to you in a way that is jarring, in a way. You know when, as the only woman in the room, you keep getting asked to, oh, can you just, can you, can you put the kettle on? Or, you know, you, you know it's noticing and then thinking about, okay, well, how do I then either address these things in others or address it in myself? So it is about noticing. And sometimes I think it's about strategizing and thinking about a smart way to deal with these things. Feelings are really bad managers. And I think sometimes when we notice, we go into emotion and actually emotions are good in a way because it lets us know what's happening. However, when you're in a moment where for a long, long time, let's say, they've always asked you to make the tea and you've always said yes. So you've entered into this contract where you make the tea and that is just Uh how it goes. That one day you notice and you don't go, I'm not making the tea. You always ask me to make the tea. I don't want to make the tea. Rather you say, oh, sorry, um, I don't have time for that today. Is it okay if someone else does it? That's the smart way. That's the way that you've noticed already. Do you know what? I hate that they always ask me to do this. And you've thought about a way that you can do it, that you get to act the way you want and won't cause a massive reaction because it's a fair thing that you're asking and will break up the status quo. Like it still Mm -hmm. achieves everything. But if you yell, oh, she's so emotional. Or she always makes a tea. What's the problem with her doing it today? She seemed fine with it. She never said she didn't like making tea. So I think it's about how do we notice? How do we think about it? And as you said before, how do we try to do it in a moment when we feel calm, when our nervous system is relaxed and we're not het up? But that does take it does take reflection. And I think that's often what society doesn't give us time to do. Or should I say the pace of life doesn't give us always the time to do to reflect on these things and to really think about them, not in like a spiraling way, but in a way that's like thinking towards solutions, not just I hate this. I hate this. It makes me feel like this. But actually, how do I solve this? Gosh, there's so much. So many things spinning around my head. I think it's so relevant for this conversation feels so important, but I also feel like it's not a conversation I feel like people are having. Like I feel like these ideas about how do we talk to people we disagree with? How do we show up when we feel a very intense emotion towards a person, but we might not understand why? You know, yeah, I think the work that you do is really brilliant. And I would encourage everybody to to get your book. I have my copy here, Communicate for Change, Creating Justice in a World of Bias. And I know that one of the things that has really helped me from your work is this notion about 
you know, if we're looking at quite an extreme example where, you know, somebody has very different political views to you or, you know, there's an extreme opinion or a view that you feel very strongly against, that when you enter into, if you choose to enter into a dialogue with that person, you don't show up trying to change their mind or to win them over or to get them on your side. You show up to try and move them from a zero to a one. And let's say, you know, the final destination is 10. And that has really, really stuck with me, Janelle. Like, I think it's such a powerful idea. Before we wrap up, could you maybe say a wee bit more about that? Because I just think it's such a helpful tool for people. Yeah, I think a lot of it was actually an upfront thing. There were actually this kind of spark, that kind of thing. And someone was talking about a family meal that was coming up and just that feeling of my brother's like, I think she said he was really misogynistic and just finding it really difficult that you get into this Uh conversation. I think the thing to always remember about everybody, including ourselves, is our worldview is like built up over a long period of time from a child to now you're learning things are coming into your thinking changing your thinking the media you consume the kind of newspapers you read or don't read the tv you watch or don't watch mm-hmm. the books you read the friends you have the parents the the your carers your family all of these things impact your worldview and how you view the world and this has happened over a long period of time but yet people go into a conversation revved up thinking that in this one conversation <laughs> i'm going to get that person to literally unpack a whole lifetime's worth of thinking. And so for me, when you get into a conversation, it's not about trying to get someone to this new utopia place that you think Mm -hmm. is right. It's actually about how do you get someone to move from zero to a one to a two? Just get them thinking. And that's the first thing. Just, Just get them exploring their own thoughts. And I think one of the most powerful things you can ever do, and this is probably I'm revealing my tricks and tips, I'm always asking questions. I think it's the most powerful thing to do to someone who is, especially if what what they're saying is like so unreasonable or just so mm-hmm. untrue. The best thing to do is you ask them a few questions. Okay, so why do you think that? Or mm-hmm. tell me more about this particular thing or use this phrase. Tell me like, what do you mean by that? Because that's like a really strong phrase. Like, you know, what do you think? And that is often how I will communicate with someone, especially if it's like a really angry or conversational there. And sometimes if they're very emotional, sometimes it's a good way to calm calm the scenario down by actually asking them questions that make them think or make them stop and have to rationalize what they're saying. Because mm-hmm. in my personal opinion, a lot of things that are the worst things in the world actually have very little rationale behind them. They might have a grain of truth because it has to have some truth to be realistic. But it's about asking them, okay, so you've said that, you know, I don't know, you think migrants coming over on boats is harming this country. Can you tell me more about how you think those individual people harm what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? It's a question that, okay, they will then have to explain. And often, like, if I'm really feeling a bit smart and sassy, I'll say, well, you know, but you're the one that said it's affecting British way of life. And you're British, so tell me how it's affecting your life. Because often they'll say, well, it's just all these different things, isn't it? But mm-hmm. you say, okay, well, tell me something specific and, and facts. And so that's another thing that I think a lot of people will say they find it really hard to intervene when they see like a social an injustice happening and they find it hard to sometimes stop it. They know it's not right. But I think sometimes you can do things like ask a question 
you don't have to always go in there and be like, I am the defender of this person in this scenario. Like I have come to save them and save you from yourself. You can ask people questions. You can say, do you know what? I actually don't think I've ever seen you behave like this before. What is it about Mm -hmm. this person that's making you feel so irate? Make people tell you the facts because often when you do that, the person themselves is is kind of forced to stop and think about a good answer that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And sometimes there isn't one. And you don't have to go, aha, got you. That person also knows they don't have a good answer for what they're saying. So you can just like let that be because that is moving someone from a zero to a one, pausing, they're reflecting, they're really thinking, okay, I said this. And actually, I don't really know why I said that because when I think about it, I don't actually have an answer. And that is how you move people along. It it will never be because you tell them that they're wrong, that they're ignorant and all the other things like that is a surefire to move them to a minus 10. So interesting. May we all take note. Anybody who's on the internet needs to know this. So the last question I'd love to ask you, which we ask all our guests on Upfront Moment, is when the team at Upfront achieve our mission of supporting a million women with their confidence and their communication and their visibility, how do you think the world will be different from your vantage point? I think the world will be different because more women will know it's okay to be around other confident women And I think more women will stop cutting other women down. And I genuinely feel in my heart, and this is a a tough one. This is a really, really tough one. When you're inside of a group of women, or when you're inside a group of men, or when you're inside of a group of anything, no one else can make someone in your group feel worse than someone in your own group. Men will be men. And patriarchal things will always Uh be what they are, in a sense. I mean, I hope the world changes, but there will still be some of it. But we're stronger when we don't do that to each other. And I think part of the weakness in the fight against lack of confidence, the communication skills, our progress, is that the tall poppy syndrome is still Mm -hmm. too much part of what we do. It's not what we say, but it's part of what we do. And again, I think this comes down to the invisible contracts and power dynamics. A woman enters the chat (laughs) she is dynamic she has got new ideas she has a work ethic she has this she has that and everyone else in the group chat all the women roll their eyes uh she's so annoying who does she think she is she's trying to change what we're doing and the invisible contract amongst us who are already here is that this person must be ejected (laughs) must Mm -hmm. be rejected And we get to carry on as we are. And I really think that if Bond gets to do its work and if the women who take part in the work take it in to their hearts, Mm -hmm. their soul, to their emotions, they will, when that woman enters the chat, will be like, yes, this is exactly what we needed. We needed a breath of fresh air. And they will break up the status quo with the other women to say, publicly not just privately to the woman always awful how everyone's treating you they will say to the others do you know what we yeah. because that is as powerful an influence as the person being like oh isn't she so annoying have you noticed and mm-hmm. I think when for me that will be the thing that pushes us on not a faux unity that's covered in like pink fluffy material no. you're all together yeah. a real deep I'm a confident woman. And when I see another confident woman, 
I celebrate that woman. I don't have to agree with everything she agrees with. I don't have to agree with always the way she's doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to co-sign everything she says and does. But you know what? I will celebrate her right to be confident in what she's doing and what she's saying. And that actually, if I could get rid of a word, it would be a cultural fit. And actually, it's a cultural value add because that is what confident women do. They are a value add to any scenario, any situation. But I think we will always be weak when we ourselves actually eject confident women and reject them. So I hope that when the bonds work is done, that will be the difference, that we will have a million more women who celebrate other confident women and let them know they're not by themselves. And when they stand up for something that's right, they cheer them on and they publicly support them and they don't sit in the background, roll their eyes and try to push that confident woman down. Gosh, I've got goosebumps. That's so great. I feel like we need to we need to say that on the television. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I think it's a tough message for women. I do. I think it's a tough message for women. It's so, so real and it's so at the heart. It's at the heart of this conversation for me. And yeah, I just think that was really powerful. And thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for this conversation. I always learn so much from you and I'm always cheerleading you through the squares of Instagram and look forward to our next conversation very much. Me too. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Upfront Moment. Before I say goodbye, I want to remind you to follow Upfront on Instagram and join the other 5,000 women all over the world who get our weekly newsletter. Go to weareupfront.com to find out more. Bye friends, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.